We're going to be in Luke 23, 26 to 32 when we get there. So you can, you can open your Bibles if you want to. For those of you who know me, you know that I'm a, I, I get up at oh dark 30. And I like to walk. So I walk every morning. And that's when I spend a lot of time with the Lord talking and just kind of seeing what's up. And especially in light of this particular message tonight that I'm going to be sharing with you. And, and I just couldn't help but as I was walking around and thinking about all the events that led up to tonight, I, I began to, to feel sad and sorrowful and I, I began to even get angry. I, became, I be, began to run through all the, all the different gamut of emotions and even started weeping as I was walking around thinking of what happened to our Savior, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this night. How awful that on one side of the coin, how awful that was, but it needed to take place so that we could have eternal life, so our sins could be forgiven. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, they used sacrificial animals to cover the sin. And now we have the, the, the lamb without spot, the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. It's just incredible it's incredible to think that Jesus, the Son of God, the part of the Trinity was, was battered and bruised, that he would be treated this way. And I want to just preface this with, uh, I may use the word man along the way, and I only mean that as the man Christ Jesus. So don't misinterpret me when I, when I say that. I mean he is God, he is man, but he's so much more than man. He's still the savior of the world in human flesh. So please don't uh, take that the wrong way if I do that. I say, yes, he's a man, but so much more. He was the one that what? Was born of a virgin, had a, born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit came upon him, uh, upon her, and she had him. He walked the earth for some 33 years. The last three years, he was training up his disciples. This is the same Jesus that's going to be hanging on the cross tonight. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk. He opened the deaf ears. He raised the dead. And it's funny because just a few days ago, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now he's on the cross. I don't know about you, but I love Jesus. I love him, not, not because he loved me first, but the deliverance from drugs and alcohol, the healing of my marriage, the hope of eternity to be with him forever. And when you have somebody that you love so much and you see this happen to him, you can't help but run through the gamut of emotions. And in spite of all that, in spite of all that, that he'd gone through. Up on the cross, he makes seven profound statements that have changed the world. They have changed us as believers. They've given us hope. They've given us strength. They've given us an encouragement to continue to walk through all things. 
And by the power of his Holy Spirit, if you're a believer tonight, you are filled with his Holy Spirit and he gives you the ability to walk through things. Now, it may not be the way that you want to walk through them, but he is certainly with you. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Good, bad, or the ugly, he is with us all the time. And those seven statements have changed the world. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to hold way too many hands as a person has passed from this life into the presence of God. And I think about the famous last words or the words that they would say or the things that they would do and how, you know, they would, there's so much of a difference between a believer and a non-believer. When you're standing there, you're facing death. When you're facing death, the things that to seek to destroy you. Holding hands of someone's has passed, sometimes they, sometimes actually they're so sedated that they can't, they just lay there, honestly. But there are other times when their eyes will open and you can just tell that they're, they're looking at you and they're thanking you or they might even say thank you for being here. That's an honor and a privilege and a blessing to see that and to be a part of that. But then there's those that are different. They don't have no hope. They, they look at death right square in the eyes and they say some really crazy things. Let me give you a couple of examples. P.T. Barnum. Barnum and Bailey Circuses, right? You know them. He died in 1891 and his dying statement was this. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? That's incredible. What a statement. There's no realization of heaven or hell. No concern for the after, where you're going, heaven or hell. But what are the receipts for day at Madison Square Garden? John Barrymore, he died May 29, 1942, and he stated this. Die? I should say not, dear fellow. No, Barrymore would accept or allow such a conventional thing to happen to him. Pride, thinking he's above it. It's couldn't happen to a Barrymore. But we know that death faces, we face death at the end of our time when God says, I need you home. The question is, how are you going to face death? Are you going to face it with hope? Or are you going to look to this? Sir Winston Churchill, the statesman who is famous for his commencement address, said, never give up. Never give up. He died January 24th, 1965 with his dying words. I'm bored with it all. Sounds to me like he gave up. In the end, he gave up. I, so where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that? Do you think that that's all there is? Apparently, some people think that that's all there is. They have no comprehension, no understanding of heaven or hell. However, there is one man, and I use the term man, God-man, the man Jesus Christ. There is this one man in history whose last words tell us a great deal about him and about how we should live. Seven statements that will, if you take these to heart, 
will forever change your mind about things. So about 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus of Nazareth, he hung on a cross and he died for the sins of the world. Listen, it's easy to say, well, that happened then, right? That, yeah, that, that's all good. That, and a lot of times people will say that. They will say, well, that's history. You know, that happened long. That's not for me. But I got to tell you, I think that it's more for us today than it was for us in back then, right? Because we're living in the now. How important is for Jesus hanging on the cross for the die for the remission of our sins today? See, it's no accident that any of us are living in this time frame. I don't believe there is. I believe that God specifically put you, me, for this time so that we could continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we could have the hope of salvation. So we could look at that cross and say, oh man, the finished work of somebody that loved me. He spoke these seven statements, man. Why? Because Not because he hated me. He didn't hang on that cross because he hated me or hated you. He hung on the cross because he loves you. And he loves me. He loves the person that's not saved. He died for them too. The Savior's time had arrived to hang on this cross. And yet the words that come from that cross will ring for eternity. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, Luke 23. I'll read 26 to 32. It says this, When they led him away, they seized the man, nay, a Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed him on the cross to carry behind Jesus. Now, you got to picture this, right? He's, not, he's been battered, beaten, bruised, tore up from the floor up, as we used to say. And they got him carrying his own cross. And Simon, they picked Simon out of the crowd to help him carry it. What a privilege that must have been for him to help carry that cross. Verse 27, And following him was a large crowd of people and women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. Verse 29, for the behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs will never, that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Verse 30, then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Verse 32, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. These seven statements speak of seven different things. They speak of forgiveness, a mission, compassion, communion, humanity, destiny, and submission. And they all are just as relevant today as they were some 2,000 years ago. Except for the personal now for us. We can read them, but now we're going to live them. That's the hope. 
The hope is that we're going to live them. The hope is that we're going to take those lessons that are learned in those seven statements and apply them to our life. Because we can read them all day long, but if we don't apply them, they don't mean much. So let's look at the first one, Luke 23, 34. The very first statement is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. May I suggest this? They knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing exactly what they were taught. They were doing exactly what they were told to do. The problem with them is they didn't have a relationship with the Creator. So they were doing what people do, what sinners do. Can you remember your BC days? Can you remember your days before Christ? Did you do everything perfectly? Did you sin against God? Did you care if you sinned against God? But listen, he went to that cross even if you didn't care at that moment. There's a time when none of us really cared that we walked in the flesh and not in the spirit. We just did what we wanted, what felt good, what looked good, what our boss told us to do, what our company told us to do, whatever it took to get by, that's just what we did. And part of that is not forgiving people. All of that took place and he's up there and he goes, Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do, speaking from a spiritual point of view. With me? They're spiritually dead. What do you expect a spiritual person to do if they're dead? It's just whatever they do. Whatever they know to do. Whatever they're taught to do. But yet he forgave them anyway. He forgave us anyway. As I was walking around this morning, continue that just for a second, is that, yeah, I was weeping and I was angry for the way they treated him, and then I got this revelation or revealing of who you think you are. You think you never did that to the Father? Do you think you never did that to Jesus? How do you think Jesus felt when you did that to him? And you did those things that were contrary. What about all the harboring of the unforgiveness that you have for people in your life? What about the people that have harmed you and you go, yeah, I don't have to forgive them. I just won't associate with them. I'll just leave them alone. I'll just go another way. They can go fly a kite. Jesus didn't think that way. He loved them. His idea that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe would have what? The hope of eternal life. That's his idea. From Jesus' point of view, he wanted them to be saved. He wanted them to save. He didn't want to see them go to hell. In Luke chapter 6, 27 to 29, it says this. But I say to you who hear, 
Hmm. Here. Do you hear? Love your enemies. What? Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. What an example of forgiveness. The forgiveness ran so deep he was willing to die. None of us have gone through what he went through. None of us never will probably never go through what he went through. Let me ask you just a couple of quick questions and you can ponder these in your mind as we go through. Do you have any unforgiveness in your heart even as we stand here this evening? Even as we stand before the throne as we know that our master our Lord and Savior is standing, is nailed to a cross. He pours out the perfect example in this statement. He pours it out. I love you so much, I'll die for you. If I'm really honest, I don't know if I'd die for you. <laughs> right? We don't really know that till until that time happens. We hear stories about people jumping in front of bullets and you know, saving people's lives and things like that, but we don't really know that will happen until the time comes. But he was a great example of forgiveness. The second statement is in Luke 23, verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Number two, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was on a mission to restore the lost and restore the lost to the Father. To those who what? To those who would hear and believe. It's not just hearing is enough. You have to believe in your heart. That's one of the things I think it bothered me so much this morning as I was walking is I believe in my heart that he's my Lord and Savior and my master and all. And so it grieved me to the point where I was shedding tears over my Savior being treated that way. If you had a family member being treated that, would you not shed tears? Of course you would. Here, in the mo this moment in time, He's hanging on a cross. He's got a true criminals on each side. One says, yeah, I don't think so. Paraphrased. <laughs> and the other one says, hey, knock it off. He's, he is who he is. Remember me. And he says, what? Tonight you're going to be with me in paradise. His focus, at that moment in time, his focus could have been on himself. You know that he was there with a, hand, with a nail in each hand and a nail through his feet. You know he had a crown of thorns on his head. You know he's in excruciating pain. But he took, put that aside for this person who 
just acknowledged who he was. He took on the pain himself and and showed such unselfish compassion and love. It was more important in that moment in time for that man to know that he was going to be okay because he recognized that he had done, that the Savior had done no wrong. And so he took the time, didn't moan and groan about the pain. He just said, you will be with me in paradise. With that last breath, Jesus was living out his purpose in life that the lost would be saved. I think that we can lose our perspective and forget what we're here for sometimes. Would you agree? Sometimes we can become self-centered and selfish and only be concerned about ourselves. So I think the lesson here is maybe we need to be less about ourselves and more about others. Caring more about others. We get distracted by the things of this world. Right now, the world is distracted by COVID. The world has flipped and turned totally crazy and upside down because of COVID. And I'm not saying it's not real and all that, blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is it's influenced and disrupting our perspective on who we are in Christ. And it drives us away from the things that we're supposed to be doing. Like sharing the gospel with people. Like fellowshipping with each other. Loving up on each other. Caring about each other. Reaching out to each other. Because we're so distracted by the things of this world. The cares of this world. Maybe it's time for us to reevaluate where we're at. What we're doing. Sometimes we have to do a reset. I have to restart my phone. Because things get all mumbo-jumboed. Maybe we need to set the, reset the button on us and what we think about. The third statement is recorded in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He was a man of compassion. He realized that in thinking outside the box, thinking about them rather than himself again, he's thinking that his mom is going to need some, have some physical needs along the way. You remember women were really held in a high stature at those times. She needed to be taken care of. And so who's he turned that over to? John, the one that he loved, the beloved John. He also thought about John. John was the tender-hearted one of the 12. And John was going to be needing to having some emotional needs along the way. So what better combination would it be to hook those two up together to support each other? He was a man of compassion. Right in the very end, he them not thinking about himself, thinking about his mom and his friends. I think we can take some lessons from that, uh, the compassion that's there. 
So in each one of these, we have to kind of ask our questions. We, it's, the title of the message is Famous Last Words. And when we look at these, we say, well, how does that apply to Jesus? And then how can we apply that to our life? What, what makes it relevant for our life? How can I put it in? How can I not just hear it? I have to do something with it. How are we doing in the compassion department? I'm over the benevolence fund here. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just be honest. I'm being real with you guys. Sometimes it's hard to be compassionate when people come in with some stories. You have to use some wisdom and discernment. Responsible for the money that you get for that to help with the benevolence fund. But there has to be a sense of compassion, true compassion for that person. Maybe you have people in your life that you have maybe not had as much compassion as you should. Maybe we need to look at those things as well. Even from the cross, he's looking down and having the compassion is just poured out for his mother and his best friend. So let's look at the fourth statement. It's in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ever felt abandoned? I'm talking from the human side of spiritual side is one thing, but you got to remember that he had all the human emotions. He had all the human feelings. He cried, he wept, he laughed, he ate. He did all the things that we do. So he had, he had a sensitive side. And now in this moment in time, he's feeling abandoned in his humanity. In one sense, he might be saying, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of all this? Fact of the matter is, God was right there. Maybe there's a time, there's a lot of children in here today. How awesome is that? But maybe there's a time in your life or maybe in your child's life where they woke up in the middle of the night with a bad dream, screaming, Daddy, 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 and all of a sudden you burst through the door. Daddy's right here. Daddy's right here. I got you. Daddy's right here. That's the way it is with Jesus. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. But we do have feelings of emotions. We have this abandonment sometimes. We go through the abandonment and say, Oh my gosh, where is everybody? Why am I going through this alone? you're not really going through this alone. But we feel that way. And to be honest, I don't put a lot of stock in feelings because I don't know you, but my feelings go like this. I'm like on a roller coaster ride. Happy, sad, happy, sad, good, bad, different. So we have to keep those in check. And we know and we, know, and we understand that God is with us. Man, he has not forsaken us. He is crying this out because he's feeling abandoned in this very, very moment. So I would say this about that. Don't be in despair if you've ever felt that way. 
You're in good company. You're in good company. Even Jesus at times felt abandoned. The greatest pain of Jesus on the cross was not necessarily physical, but spiritual. In all of eternity, he had never been separated from the Father. But in this moment, in this very thin moment, he felt that way. He understood what it was like to be separated from the Father, just as we understand what it's like when we're separated. Can you imagine what it must feel like for him when, we're, when we put, a, put something in there that divides us from our relationship with him? Can you imagine how that must feel? If you make it personal for a second, how, how do, when you have a close friend and there's a division, how do you feel? How do you feel when that goes down? You gotta remember, he's the God, man. He's, he's, he's got human emotions and feelings. Just like we do. And I think a lot of times we get really comfortable living in that, this kind of separation. We can easily get comfortable. And I would say this, if that's you, it's time to renew your relationship. And he's waiting. He's just a prayer away. Just a prayer away. The next one is John 19, 28. He says, I thirst. If you're taking notes, it's John 19, 28. He says, I thirst. Now, I take this one of two ways, and, and you can take it any way you want to. I'm not an authority. But in one sense, he was inhuman, so he was thirsty. But I think there's another side. There's a spiritual side that kind of was like this. He's thirsty for the love of his father. He is thirsty for the relationship that he had with his father. Together, together, he sent his only son. But now he's going back to the father. And he knows he's going back to the father. He's going back to commune with him, to be at his right side, to be in that close proximity with him. The water of the word. Are you feeling thirsty? You know, it's interesting is that I can go out in the, or we can go out in the foyer and get a drink of water, but it won't be long till what? We're thirsty again. Water is the lifeline. Water is a lifeline of life. The living word takes away the thirst of the world. But drinking the, in the living word soothes the soul, brings life. In John 4.13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, talking to the woman at the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Maybe you, maybe I am feeling dry this very evening. Maybe we have fallen away from the word. 
Maybe we're not in it as much as we used to. Maybe you need a drink of the living water. The next verse, is, or the next statement is found in John 19.30. It is finished. One can only state or say that it is finished if he knows where he's going or the project or the item is done. He's coming to the end. He's on that cross. It is finished. What is finished? It's paid in full, you might say. What is paid in full? The sins of man. All the sins that you and I will commit. Past, present, and future. All those. It is finished. Remember I told you earlier that in the Old Testament, the shedding of the blood of the sacrificial animals was just a covering? When he's up there now, it is finished. The shedding of the blood. No more, no more works, man. No more killing animals. No more... I am the last. It is finished. It is done. I'm paying the price. I'm paying the price for you. I'm paying the price for you because I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to pay the price. And the price is crucifixion. The most horrific way to die. Of course, we know that Sundays are coming. Yeah, Sundays are coming. So he's a man of destiny. Jesus understood the destiny that he faced, and he could enter into it in total faith. His work was finished, he had taught his disciples very well and he passed the baton on with great hope for all to come our destiny is mapped out for us as well are we running the race are you running the race are you running to win I know can you say with great hope I have finished the race and that the Lord would say you have fought the good fight enter into the joy of the Lord. How do we do that? We do that by walking with him, by talking with him, by communing with him, by loving on him, by caring for him, sharing him with other people. Going back to the things that we talked about, the unforgiveness, forgiving people when they wrong you. Being a submission to him. The seventh one is out of Luke 23, 46, if you're taking notes. And it's this. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. 
With his last breath, Jesus was committed to remaining in submission to the Father. A reflection of his total trust in the Father and a demonstration of the kind of faith we should live in. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understood absolute trust and submission to the Father. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave it up. One thing I found interesting about that, we're going to take communion in just a little while, but is that he gave up his spirit before anything could be broken. If you know what I mean. What I mean is they would crucify them and then to speed up the death, they would break their legs so they would, so they would not be able to stand and grab another breath of air. But he gave up his spirit prior to that. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that I can be battered and beaten, but I can't be broken. Wow. I can't be broken. He was never broken. He was battered. He was beaten, but he was never broken. Even when he hung on the cross, he wasn't broken. When he was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of other people. He wasn't thinking of himself until the very end. And when he just said, you know, okay, and did I, as I commit my spirit, what's left? My work is done. My work is done. So before we take communion, I want to, I, I, I ran across this, this, I guess you could call it a poem or whatever, many, many years ago, and I read it then, and I've, I've been saving it, and, but it just speaks volumes, I think, about, about tonight, about this very night. It's, um, what I would ask you to do, just play with me, play along, as I read this, close your eyes and try to think about the things I'm going to say. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw this whole message together through this poem. Not really a poem. I don't know what you would call it. But it's written from the perspective of Jesus. If Jesus was saying it, this is what it would sound like. Maybe. As I was being dragged down the street, you watched. You mocked me as I was carrying my own cross that I was to be crucified on at Calvary. I forgive you. You bruised my body and you beat me until I bled. You, you nailed the nail into my right hand and you nailed the nail into my left hand. You nailed the nail into my feet. I forgive you. You placed the corn of thorns upon, thorns upon my head. I thirst. You offered me vinegar. You cast lots for my clothing. You pierced my side. I forgive you. You mocked me as I hung there on the cross when you wrote, this is the king of the Jews on a sign above my head. I forgive you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The sun darkened and the veil of the temple tore. I cried out, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I still forgive you. I was God in human flesh that was sent down to save you from your sins. 
You think I do not have feelings? I cry and I hunger, I love, I feel pain because I am God's son. This is the only way the father can reach his children through me. I tried to tell you what the father expected of you. You ignored me. A few listened, some believed. Some didn't care one way or the other. The father sent me, his son, so that you would not have to perish but have everlasting life. As a son, I knew what I had to do in order for you to be saved. I could have come down off that cross at any time. 10,000 angels I could have called upon, but I chose not to because I love you and I forgive you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we re recommit our lives back to the Lord. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know if you're, if you're saved or not. Only you know. You and the Lord know. But there's one thing I do know is that he hung on that cross. He surrendered his life and he said it is finished. It's paid in full. Your debt has been paid. Are you going to take it? Are you going to take the gift I got for you? You have to receive it. If I was to give you my Bible and say, here, it's a gift, it's only, it's only as good as if you, if you received it. You have to take it. I'm offering it to you, but you have to take it. Jesus is saying, I went to the cross for you. I love you that much. I died for you. I paid a price that you can never pay. And I forgive you. I love you that much.